Happy anniversary, Transit Church. Here I am, Pastor Jeff, just coming to you all, reflecting on where we've been and the journey that God has brought us on in this last year. I can't help but reflect on Jesus' words in Matthew 16, where he's talking to his, his closest friends, the disciples, and he simply remarks that, uh, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I think really any church that starts from, from nothing and becomes something is a miracle of God. And so we are a miracle and we're one year old. So happy birthday. When I think about the journey that we've traveled, you have to go all the way back to North Carolina where we dare to believe that God would take just me and my family to partner with him and build a church, build his church. And so uh, we took the dare and we set our sights on coming to Alexandria, Virginia, right outside the heart of, of D.C. Moved in September 2012. My, that was a hard move, at least for my family it was. And uh, we got ourselves settled. And really, a month later, we began having community groups in our home. Uh, Sunday afternoons, y'all remember that? God really began to build a church right in the midst of our townhouse in Kingstown in April of last year. A whole year ago, um, we launched. Over this last year, we've seen God do some great things. We started meeting in Hayfield Secondary School, and by God's grace, we have added to our number. We've added community groups, uh, more opportunities for people to uh, be the, the church that comes together during the week, where we exhort each other, where we fellowship, and you know, more importantly, how we rub against each other so that we would encourage each other in the gospel. Along with that, we're partnering uh, with Organizations, we featured Orphan Sunday uh, this past November. We have the, the exciting opportunity to, to baptize some new believers. This is an exciting time. It's an exciting time to see all that God is doing um, in our church. And the anticipation that I have is He's not going to do things in our church, but there's great things that He's going to do through us in our city. The journey is just beginning. I'm glad that you're a part. Let's stay together on the journey. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. Familiar block of scripture that I've actually preached on. Uh, honestly, I preached on this passage a year ago. And, I, and I'm, so I'm preaching on it deliberately again today, bring a different aspect of it to you as we think about, celebrate, remember our one-year anniversary. In fact, uh, you know, last week we celebrated our one-year anniversary as a church, and if you missed it, it was a fun day. It was emotional for me. I almost, I mean, I almost stood up and cried. Um, just as, you know, showed a little video, and we had some pictures flowing, going all the way back to North Carolina and the interest meeting that we started in May of 2012 that brought us all the way up to our launch and some of the things that we had done as a church over this, this past year. And I just felt the emotion of all of that, you know, the, you know the, just all the, the things that goes into starting a church. And for those of you who have been with us, just a few of you in this room have, have been with us throughout that whole journey. Um, you know, this has been, you know, God's doing in many ways. A, a friend and mentor of mine encouraged me not to just rush through it and get to the next thing. And so what I endeavor to do for the next, you know, this week and the next is, is to linger in this, uh, the the reflection of what it means to be a one-year-old church, to celebrate a little bit. We won't do that much today. We celebrated last week. If you missed it, we had some great food. We did. We made some silly faces in a photo booth. We ate a whole cake 
I don't know if y'all realize that. Y'all ate a whole, like, 75-person cake. Y'all are some greedy people. <laughs> greedy people. But uh, I was reminded, uh, and my friend helped me remind, uh, helped remind me, of a passage in the, the book of Acts where Paul is just finishing his first missionary journey. And Luke recounts these words in Acts 14, 27 through 28. He says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. What's going on here is Paul has gone from city to city to city to city and he's done really two things. He's preached the gospel and made disciples. I actually stood up in front of you in January and said these, this year for us is a year of setting a foundation of preaching the gospel to ourselves and those that we encounter, but also to make disciples. I'm going to talk, uh, explain that, that phrase, making disciples, at the, towards the end of my sermon. Um, and so Paul has done that, and then on the tail end of doing that, instead of just rushing back to Jerusalem and getting himself set to do something else, he decided to go and revisit all those churches. But more importantly, he went to the first one that he, uh, the, the ones that sent him out, and just lingered a little bit. And they reflected on and celebrated what God had done. And I think that it's, it would be wrong for us not to do that, not to linger in our celebration, to appreciate and remember the work that God has done. Because any church that, that starts and grows and becomes something from nothing, it's a work of God. We might get to partner with it, but really this is what God has done. And I want us to enjoy the beautiful thing of God creating our church, the transit church right here in the midst of, of Kingstown. You know, we're going to talk about the church today. My, my sermon today is called The Church. That's all we're going to talk about, The Church. And there's a lot that we could talk about. There's a lot that we were, could reflect on. I want to specifically talk about what Jesus intends for us in his church. And we find that really in, in Matthew 16. All right, that, I, that was a long introduction. I told you to turn there and we haven't even read the passage yet. All right, so let's read this together. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Here we go. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pause and pray. Father, we're grateful for your word today and the gathering of your church. The church is, uh, is, is the point. The church is important. It's that entity that you have created, brought together from those who are following Jesus to advance your kingdom. We thank you that you've formed us into not just individuals who believe in you, but a church. We thank you for Transit Church. We thank you for your gospel, that thing that we rally around that, that transforms your world and that changes us. And God, I pray today that through this passage of scripture, you would help us to see your intentions for your church. God, that we would see it as your church, a thing that you have created, a thing that you are building, a thing that is for you. And we have the awesome privilege of partnering with you in it. 
God, we pray that you, we would see your gospel here today. And God, that in your presence, you change us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let me start with this question. What are, you, what are your thoughts of church? When you think about church, what do you think? Um, some of you grew up going to church. And you may have bad thoughts or good thoughts about that. Um, my earliest thoughts of going to church, I've, I've said this before, my, my family didn't go to church all the time. We went mostly out of tradition, as is, as is common for many African-American families in the South. Well, I would say the, the, the church is a, a social institution, and many go. Uh, it, it, you know, it serves in many ways as the center of, of life, definitely in the days when I was growing up. Uh, my family only went every once in a while, and my earliest thoughts were sitting, sitting in between my parents, and, you know, I'm going to church, and I'm going to sleep. At least that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, my mom or dad would, would nudge me. And back then, you didn't have children's church. There, there was no such thing. At least in the black church, there wasn't. And so you, as a kid, you, you're dressed up a little bit. You were supposed to sit on the pew, and you might be able to color on an offering envelope with the you know, crayon. It had little pencils in the, in the pew in the back of that. You could do that. But other than that, you had to be quiet. Or otherwise, y- your parents are going to stand up. And this is, this is like automatic. Your parents stood up, they grabbed you by the hand, didn't say a word, and just led you out of the pew. Automatically, the deacon, the deacon just slung, swung the door open in the back of the church so that you and your parents could go on out. And then, guess what happened? You can call it whooping. I call it, you got an attitude adjustment. You got an attitude adjustment. Now, I didn't get one of those, but I know several people. <laughs> I know some people who got some attitude adjustments, and those kids needed it. Perhaps you, perhaps you didn't grow up going to church at, at all. Maybe you're one of those that went to church like I did, but you went to church out of tradition, but you just did it all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Friday night. I mean, you were in church all the time. And, you know, that can, that can like, leave imprints on you as a young kid, especially if you're missing like a Disney show or something on TV or, or going out with the, your buddies and playing in the park. And you're like, I'm, I got to go to church. I can't play. I mean, it's this 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 tension it creates from going to church. Uh, perhaps you grew up in church and you got hurt by the church. And that's a serious thing. Um, you know, we see in the news even today, just all this unfolding of, of the the, the plight of young kids in the Catholic Church that uh, were abused in many ways. And that, you, got, you have to know that doesn't just happen in the Catholic Church. There, there are bad people everywhere that misuse their authority. Perhaps you grew up in church and um, a, a person by what they said or a leader in what they did um, offended you and your family and estranged you, maybe not physically, but in your heart from from what the church is. And so the, the question before us today is, what is it that transforms the church so that we can overcome all those things that get in our way of understanding what the church is supposed to be as we're young kids to understanding what Jesus intended of it? I mean, what is it that transforms the church so that it does the thing that it's supposed to do? And I think Jesus helps, uh, helps us see some of those in this passage today. Jesus, in this particular passage, is, is doing what Jesus does best. 
He's about three-quarters of the way through his ministry, although Matthew's chronology is a little bit different. And his disciples, they're going about, um, you know, ministering through the towns. And at this particular point, before Jesus goes on and from this point, the revelation of who he was and goes into Jerusalem and really reveals to everyone that he is the, the promised Messiah, he takes a moment to, to gauge those that are closest to him. And he asks them some, some very particular questions. In verse 13, he says, Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? You know, it's one thing to, to know what other people think of, think of you. But what do those who are closest to you think of you? And, and these disciples, you know, the, I'm talking about the guys that would become the apostles, had been traveling with Jesus. He had called them to himself. They found something interesting in him. And I think, you know, they kind of knew who he was. There were signs that he was special. He did signs and miracles that pointed to him being just an extraordinary being. Just unhuman kinds of, of things. The compassion that he showed, the words that came out of his mouth proved to them that he was something special. But, but did they really know who he was? And so Jesus was gauging what they thought about Jesus, what they thought about, what, he, what, what they thought about him. Verse 14, the disciples spout off with what other people's views are of him. You know, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Some, some say you're, you're like Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And we should notice that most of them are likening him to a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. He is doing those things that an, a prophet does. What does a prophet do? A prophet sees visions from God. He hears what God is saying and he represents God to people. And they're saying, well, yeah, you're kind of like this. This is what we see you doing from what we've known of prophets in the Old Testament. But then what Jesus does is he makes it personal. And he does that for you and I, too. It's not, it doesn't matter what other people say about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? What do you, who do you say that he is? He makes it personal. And he asks, he narrows the question toward them. Verse 15, but who do you say that I am? And then he continues in, in verse 16. Simon Peter, at this point, apparently has already assumed a leadership role in this fledgling group of, of, of disciples. And Simon just spouts off and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this is a special moment. And Jesus recognizes that it's a special moment. Because only God can reveal God. Only God can reveal God. And so Peter says, you're the Christ. And in those words, he's saying, you're the anointed one that we're expecting. You are the Messiah. You're the one sent by God to set men free from their sins. And Jesus pauses and says, this is a special revelation that can only come from God. Verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus is declaring that no human insight gave him this message. And I would tell you, in your life as well, you might go to church, you might sit in the pew, hear someone preaching. You might have a family that believed in Jesus and talked about him all the time, prayed to him all the time. You may have heard the gospel in any number of ways, but God reveals God to you. The scripture says that no one comes to God the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And this is what's happening right here. 
God the Holy Spirit has come to Peter and revealed to him that Jesus, this man seemingly born of peasant parents whose family thought that he was kind of crazy, who would go in a few days, be condemned by and, and condemned as an enemy, but who would one day rise for the salvation of the whole world. He was saying that this man, revelation from God, is God himself. Verse 18, Jesus continues, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, there's a lot of debate about this verse. And particularly, what, what is Jesus talking about when he says rock? Is the rock Peter? Is the rock the place that there is? Is there something special about this location that they're in? in Caesarea Philippi, or is the rock Jesus himself? And I, I sort of side with my seminary professor who says there's a little bit of all of this mixed in to this. I think firstly, uh, you know, Peter in Greek means is Petros, rock. Rock in Greek, Petra, feminine Greek word, rock. And also the language of the day is Aramaic. And the word for both Peter and and rock would have been the same Aramaic word. So Jesus is giving a, a play on words, and I think he does that deliberately to, to firstly point out and acknowledge the role that Peter and his, his authority and his leadership would have in the formation of the church. He was giving Peter some props here. And as we see this played out, Peter goes and, you know, he might have been uh, the first among equals amongst the disciples right here, but he goes on, denies Jesus. In John's gospel, we see that Jesus has to restore Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And then in, you know, that famous Acts chapter 2 passage, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit falls, and Peter stands up amongst them and just preaches this beautiful gospel of Jesus and him crucified and raised from the dead. And of the 120 people go out speaking the language of all these Jewish pilgrims from all over the world, and 3,000 come to faith that day. This is the same Peter. So he's, he's giving Peter some props here. He's saying, you know, Peter, you're going to have a significant role in the formation of my church, but we should see Jesus as, as calling himself the rock. Jesus is saying, I'm the real deal, and it's on me. that I, I, It's on me I'm going to build my church. My church is going to be built on me. The church is going to be built in me. That's what we should take from, from this verse. In fact, this statement that we, we see uh, really that Jesus gives us, he adjoins Old Testament prophecies pointing to Jesus and the New Testament fulfillment of that, that Jesus is the rock upon which the church would be built. Here's a couple of scripture verses that, that points that out. Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. Other versions say uh, won't be put to shame. The, the thought here, you know, Zion is, is, uh, is it was a hill. It was a, a, a piece of terrain that David actually captured and made his own city. It was called the city of David. And then the, the futuristic perspective of Zion is the place where God dwells. And so uh, Isaiah here is picturing a place where God's presence um, dwells and his people can come 
and, and not be ashamed at this spot because Jesus, the cornerstone, the very presence of God himself is there. Matthew 21, 42. Here, Jesus again quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was God's doing. God has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then Paul says most eloquently in chapter nine of Romans, verse 33. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling. He calls Jesus a stumbling stone. He's this obstacle in the way that you I mean, you can't get through life unless you somehow go. You know, you're going to have to come to grips with him. But belief in Jesus will lead to salvation, Paul says here. And as we go back to Matthew, verse 18, Jesus continues, On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus says, I will build my church. And the, the word church is uh, ekklesia. That's the Greek word here for church. And the, common, uh, the, the word here is just a common word for that day of a group that assembled for a particular purpose. And really, it wasn't necessarily applied to church, but Jesus applied it to his church being formed and coming together. The church was a group, an assembly that came together for a particular purpose. So basically, Jesus is saying, I'm calling a group of people together who believe in me, but also who have a specific mission. That is the church. That's the church. So there's a, there's a few implications that I want us to see from, from Matthew 16 that helps us understand some things about the church. The first of these is, is what Jesus said. The church is built upon Jesus. These are the words that Jesus says. He says, on, emphasis on the word on, on this rock. He's speaking of himself. The church is built upon, the church is rather not built upon a pastor, The church is not built upon a personality. The church is not built upon a specific worship program. The church is not built upon a specific ministry. The church is not built upon a specific program or activity. The church is built upon Jesus. I mean, how do we know that? If you strip all that stuff away, take away the mega church pastor with his personality, that's able to get a whole bunch of people in a room and and wow them by his, by his communication skills, take that away, take away all those things that a church does that, you know, just activity, doing all kinds of stuff, remove all that. If the church disappears, then obviously the church is not important. It didn't, it didn't exist. But I would tell you, you remove all that stuff, the church, the true church will still exist. The church is built upon Jesus. The second implication is the church is built by Jesus. Jesus says these words in Matthew 16. He says, I, I personally will build my church. And you know, I tell you, this is good news for all of us that labor. This means that the forward movement of the church is not dependent upon us. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but I mean, it just makes you want to like, like that Nest, Nest Tea commercial. You, you, you take a sip, you go, ah. because you know, we can, especially church planners, we can think that the church is on our shoulders. And if I don't do everything, it's not going to be done right. If I don't do everything, it's not going to get done. And those of you that labor along with us, I mean, you you sort of adapt that that kind of perspective as well. We don't have to stress or fret. Jesus is the one that makes the church come alive. Jesus builds his church. The, the church belongs to him. It belongs to Jesus. It's his church. 
This should be good news to us because we can be frustrated and discouraged by what we see, but also what we don't see in the church that we're trying to build through our own efforts. This passage says the church belongs to Jesus. And here's the here's the, the, the nuts and bolts of this. If we can trust Jesus with our salvation, if we can trust him to incarnate himself, live a perfect life because we couldn't die on the cross, be buried, rise again from the dead. If we can trust Jesus to do all that, surely, folks, we can trust Jesus to build his own church. Take a deep breath. Drink some nest tea, iced tea. Let that go. I'm speaking to myself. The third implication is that we are called to belong to the church. And this really is the, the brunt of my message here for you today. We're called to belong to this church that Jesus is, is building. And so we see that the church was not created for us, although we get to partner with Jesus in the church. But it's something that we're called to. We're called to belong to Jesus' church. We're called to participate in it to be involved in the life of it, to contribute to it, to be on mission with Jesus and all the things that he wants to do in a particular people, in a particular city. We're called to all of that. And I would would encourage you, if you haven't yet gotten involved in the local church, do that. Jump in with both feet. Many of you are military here. And, you know, I mean, you're only here for uh, like a couple seconds and then you're gone. And uh, having lived a military, military life, uh, fortunately, Larissa and I learned this early on is, you know, life is too short not to be involved with other people and to get yourself, you know, just inter- intermingled with 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 life. And so jump in with both feet and, and serve and get involved and and give yourself to to God and the life and the mission of his church. And you will be all the better for it as you labor and labor with us. Practically, we want you to be involved, engaged in the church. And, you know, I've got a, 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 just a few encouragements for you in that. Firstly, you know, if you're a guest here today, uh, if you've been coming just for a little bit trying to feel us out, then I would encourage you. We, we love it that, you're, uh, that you are getting to know us, that you're immersing yourself in, in a local church. We want you, especially if you're checking Christianity out, you don't quite yet believe in Jesus, you're just trying to figure all that out. We would encourage you linger, hang around us, not just come to church, but get involved in a, in a community group. We're just trying to figure out what all that is as you work out just what you believe about church, what you work out, what you believe about Jesus. But the honest, I mean, just going to be honest. We don't want you to be a guest forever. Y'all ever had a guest come to your house? I mean, even somebody that you love and they just overstay their welcome. I mean, at, at first, it's like, you know. Oh, we just love having you guys here. Um, you know, uh, let me make this meal for you. Here's some, here's some Coke. Let's, let's check out this TV show. Then, you know, after a few days, like, all right, so just here's a remote. Um, you can make yourself a sandwich if you want it. Um, we're gonna, we got an activity with our kids. You, you're going to be all right? Here's the key. Lock, just lock up if you leave. And then if they're still there after a few more days, you might wake up in the morning and, like, they're already in your couch they got the remote flipping it. And when you're trying to watch a TV show, chowing down on something that you intended to eat that morning, it's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> um, we, we are encouraged that you're a guest here if you're a guest. But honestly, we don't want you to stay a guest forever. 
We want you to jump in. Let's, let's, let's do something more than just be a guest. Secondly, we want you to get uh, engaged uh, to find a place to serve. And the way that I, I usually say this is, you know, serve where you're gifted. Are, do you have a special thing that you like to do that you're drawn to? Um, are you skilled in a special way that you could you see something that we're just we suck at? We're just we're not doing it yet. And you could likely help us do it. Then, you know, bring it up. And I might say no right now, but I'm just being honest. But at some point, I'm just going to say, well, if you want to do it, do it. But you're going to have to like do it, do it, because I'm not going to like get around you and and help. you. I'm not going to drag your hand and say, all right, you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to do it, do it. Serve where you're gifted or serve where there's a need. And we're a church plant. There's like needs all over the place. I needed you here this morning because we, we usually set up out there in the, in, the, in the lecture hall. And it's like 10 feet from the door to the, the lecture hall. Here, we have to come all the way around the back. And we like, look, all the, you know, all that stuff is, is rollable. We're a portable church. But I tell you what, I was, my shirt over there is soaked. Soaked from setting up. We want you to get engaged, find a place to serve. We would encourage you to consider membership. Um, we're going to have a membership class this week. You know, membership, you aren't going to find a place in the, in the Bible that says membership. But what, what I liken it to is the covenant. And the Bible and God's relationship with us is a covenant from beginning to end. Adam and Eve in the garden walking and fellowshipping with God, it was a covenant. And God extends that covenant to Noah and Abraham and David and the nation of Israel. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament. He, he pulls these disciples around him and they, he extends the new covenant. And then he gives it away to the Gentiles. And so you are a product of the covenant of God. And so membership, more than anything, is your commitment. It's you saying, you know what? I buy into the mission and vision of this church and I just want to commit. I just want to sign my name on a line and say, you know what? For as long as um, I'm here and whether that's the, the government has you here or a job has you here or the Holy Spirit has you here, you know, whatever else has you here. Because, you know, I understand D.C. is transient, but I'm going to commit. I'm going to I'm going to jump in with both feet and do those things that members of organizations do. That's what I would encourage you to do. And we're going to talk about that next week at nine o'clock. We want you to be on mission. And mission is, you know, God has a mission for us as a church. And I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to talk about that in about two minutes. We want you to join and partner with us with what God is doing in our church, what God is already doing in our city that we got to figure out and join in on. We want to do all that, and we invite you to be a part of that. God has called us as a church to something that's bigger than any one of us individually can do. And really, it's bigger than what all of us collectively can do. But if it weren't that, it wouldn't be worth doing, would it? And so what specifically has God called us to do? You know, there's, there's metaphors that describe Jesus' church. I'm going to give you five of them. The first is a family. God has called us to be a family. 1 Timothy 5.1 suggests that. Here Paul is, is writing to a young man who in many ways was his son. And in this verse, he says, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so he's saying treat older women and men as fathers and mothers, younger men and women as brothers and sisters. And I don't know if you recognize this. He starts off the chapter with this, this, this word of like conflict. Do not rebuke. In, in other words, when you, it, 
although you form a family, there's going to be some tension and contention in it. And I think the church, although we're a family, we're called to be a family, there's all kinds of tension that happens in the church. Why? Because people are people. You know, where people are, you're going to have a mess, you're going to have tension, you're going to have sin. But a family that works right amidst the tension works all that stuff out. And God has called us to that. Some of you come from dysfunctional families, families that has had all kinds of stuff happening in it. And so the church is a a place of solace to you. And although the church has tension and dysfunction, it can be a place of nurture and care and encouragement for you. And so we encourage you, let the church, let the local church, let Transit Church be a family for you. Secondly, the church, uh, a metaphor of the church is, the church is a flock. It's a flock. We see in John 10, uh, Jesus gives this metaphor that he is the chief shepherd and that we're all sheep. And that, that part about being a sheep, that's not a compliment. Because as you, as you think about sheep, they, uh, zoologists tell us they're some of the dumbest animals on the planet. Sheep need to be not just nurtured, they need to be sustained, they need to be protected, they need to be guided. And Jesus really is given this perspective of us. As the as you know, as people who were supposed to be following him, that we that he is our chief shepherd that we're supposed to be following around. He's got a stick sort of like hitting us when we get out of the way. You know, we're just we're listening to his voice, going where he says go, stopping when he says stop. We're doing what he says, being in intimate fellowship with him. The flock metaphor is a gathering community of the church. That's what it means to be gathered as God's people. Another metaphor is the bride of Christ. We see this in Ephesians 5, 22 and 33, 22 through 33. Paul is likening uh, a marriage between a man and a woman to how he interacts with his church. We, he's the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. We see it in John 3 and also Revelations 19. This is kind of strange for the men in the room to, to grasp our, our minds around this concept of being a bride. I mean, what man wants to be a bride? I mean, I put a dress on <laughs> No man wants to do that. And so what is what? Why would Jesus call the, the you know, men in the church, the bride of Christ? I think he's he's saying a couple of things. Firstly, he's saying the church should grow in our love relationship with Jesus. Jesus is God and we can and should love God. In fact, he he gives us grace to love him. As a church, we should desire to be pure for him. He calls us to live a sanctified, holy, and pure life. As a church, we should desire to be beautiful for him, beautiful for Jesus. Not beautiful necessarily in the the external nature, but beautiful in our character because God doesn't care about our outward outward external features. I guess he does. He gets, you know, he does care about that. But more importantly, he cares about the inside. He cares about our hearts. We should desire to be beautiful for Jesus, that we would want to grow in our affections for him and that we would wait in eager expectation that he's going to return again for us. Jesus likens the the church to branches on a vine. He says this in John 15 all the way through. He likens us to the branches on the vine. Jesus is the the vine. We're the branches. What happens when you break a a branch off the vine? It withers up and it dies. And so us without Jesus is really no life at all. That's, that's what his, his metaphor is saying to us. 
as part of the vine, our sustenance, our, our source of strength, our spiritual vitality comes from being connected to Jesus. You know, there's this, this other thing about the, the vine is, you know, we, we prune vines. Bushes, trees, as, as they get overgrown and out of control, we prune those jokers, don't we? And so this, this is saying something. This is saying that as Jesus invites us to be connected to him, he's also going to bring pain in our life to help us grow. He's going to trim us back. He's going to cut off those dead parts of our flesh, our, our sin nature. He's going to continually cut that off. He's going to round us out that we might continue to grow and we might bear fruit. And lastly, probably the most commonly talked about and understood metaphor that Jesus gives for his church is this word body. We are the body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. The, the verse here says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. And here he's likening, I mean, uh, can you imagine a body where part of one of the limbs is just hacked off and it just lays on the floor? What happens to that limb? It's just they're dead, right? It, it's not going to have any life in it after it's disconnected from the body. And so Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying here, as when you come to faith in Jesus, then you necessarily and automatically become a part of the church. There really is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian hanging out there by yourself, because like a body, you can't be a hand just laying on the you know, like in those scary movies that we see, the hands just flopping and, and moving, inching along the ground. That, that doesn't happen in real life. At least I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. It doesn't happen. And so also in this metaphor, Jesus gives us gifts. And so we're connected to the body. And some of us are, are, are thinkers. We're administrative and we're organizers. And we sort of form the head function. We see and hear what God is saying. And we articulate to the body. Some of us get to be the spokesperson for the body. Some of us are the midriff. You know, we sort of like the, the part that, that connects the, the, the sustaining portion to the, the, the thinking portion. And we just help. We serve along and, and make stuff happen. And then you got those, those people that are like the support structure. You got these big trunks. Some of y'all are pinky toes. You know, take off your pinky toe and see how easy it would be to stand up. It's, it's, you just need it. All of the parts are, are needed. And, and the, the, the verses that Paul uses here, he says that sometimes it's the parts that we think le- least about that are the most important. And I'm grateful for the body that we have here. I think of ways that, that we already are reflective of this metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. I think of, um, of Abigail. Abigail Halloran worked when I remember her when she was like in her teens, um, still learning the piano and teaching it a little bit. We used to be great friends. I guess we still are great friends with her, her mom and dad and their eight kids. She was the oldest. She had she she was the one that had to do everything. Sort of grooming the kids. It's just how it is in large families. But the neat thing is I see how Abigail had this thing that God has just done to um, put a gift in her and sort of grow it. And she's been able to use it as she's grown up. I remember when she wrote, it probably wasn't her first song, in our, in our sending church, a man of church in Fable, she wrote this, this beautiful song, um, Captured. You have to sing that one day. You've never sang that for us. You should sing that one day. Not next week, sing it one day. 
And it was, we recorded the song. Beautiful song. And to see her in, in the fruition of, of where God has her at this point. I think of Erica Gordon. Erica Gordon used to be a DJ. She's a graphic artist. And her, you know, her fingerprints in the body of Christ are on what God has gifted her to do. She's, she's neatly fitting in doing what God has blessed her and what her skill and talent um, suggests that she should be doing. Perhaps you're like that as well. The body is supposed to do, I mean, the body is, is most precious when it does what it's, what it's supposed to do. I think of Kelly. Kelly, Kelly isn't even in the room. Yes, she is. We're in the back. Kelly, uh, Kelly is our second kids ministry director. Um, not that she was the better, but she, I mean, she's a teacher. She's a gifted teacher. She teaches in the Fairfax County public school system. And she just has in her just uh, a gift to care about your kids. But also she just, she just brings crafts and all this just like stuff that I couldn't think of to do with our kids. And I love the fact that Kelly is partnering with me and my wife to disciple my, my daughter. She's partnering with you to disciple your kids. She cares almost as much as you do about your kids being discipled and knowing who Jesus is. It's the body being the body. The last thing that I would talk to you about today is that the church has a mission. The outworking of Matthew 16 is not just the creation of Jesus' church, but also her mission. And so here's the, here's the church. The church is the community of all believers together, and God gives her, God gives us a mission. What is the mission of the church? I think, you know, again, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us have been in church a long time. Some of us are, are newly in the church. And what you think the mission of the church is depends on your perspective and what you really have experienced so far in your, in your life. For some of us, our perspective of the mission of the church is that the church is supposed to meet your needs. I call that my church. You ever, you ever been to my church? Some people think the church exists for them, that it's there to meet their needs. And, and I would tell you, of course, in many ways, that's very true. All of us are very are, are spiritually needy people. And the church comes in and nourishes us and cares for us, encourages us, exhorts us, kicks us in the pants with the word of God when we need to be. And the church is supposed to do that. The church gives us hope sometimes that we don't have in and of ourselves to, to live out. But the truth is. The church, and I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hurt you with these words, the church is not primarily there for you to always meet your need. And I say that because at some point, at some point, you're going to have this need and the church is not going to be able to meet that need. And if you come from the perspective of the mission of the church is to always, always help me when, my need, when I got a need, then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed with this church. You're going to be disappointed with any church. Another perspective would be the church is there to help me mature. Is the church supposed to help you mature? Discipleship, sanctification, growing in your knowledge of the Lord? Absolutely. But if you have a perspective that the church is only there to help you mature, then you're going to be uh, disappointed at some point. Uh, In many ways, we already said this, the church acts as a family. And, uh, you know, I, I love my neighbors because my neighbors give me like like up close and personal ser- about, uh, sermon illustrations. I see them every day. And so two days ago, I was commenting on my neighbors. My, my neighbor, he keeps in a ma- his cars are immaculate. It drives me nuts. 
because I never washed my car, and I only wash Larissa's car every, once every other month. Just did it yesterday. And so I'm, I'm, just, model, I'm just admiring how clean his cars are. And I said, gosh, I said, your cars are always clean, Jared. And, uh, and so he said, no, we, 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 we had a blowout. We, we took the car down to Kingstown to get it done because the, the kids just messed it up. And so, you know, how, how families, especially young kids, all y'all young kids, a kid will just jack up your car, won't they? I mean, that, that car seat, when you, clean, when you pull that car seat up and you pull, you pull it out just for a second, you got like uh, the, the baby bottle that you've been missing for like six months. You got Cheerios. You got a dried out pack of wipes. You got a, a lollipop that you gave them and they just flung it. You got the juice that they just decided to shake up and down. It's just like muck and nastiness underneath that. I will tell you, thankfully, parents that are in that stage, at some point you get out. You got to live through it. You got to work through it. You got to grow through it. But you eventually you get it out of that stage. And I tell you, a church, the church is just like a family. We got it. We got to grow through this. OK. And a church is supposed to help you as you grow through these baby and toddler. And what comes after toddler? What comes after toddler? Seriously. Yeah. School age kinds of stuff. I love it that my kids are at the point where where we can just say, all right, you're hungry. Go get yourself something to eat. It was our anniversary this week. And so on Tuesday, was it Tuesday? Tuesday, we didn't make a thing. We, we went to Mike's, me and Larissa's favorite, the cruise's favorite restaurant too. We went to Mike's and they're like, we're like leaving. It's like, what are we going to eat for dinner? It's like, I, I don't know. Go, <laughs> open the refrigerator. Whatever you see in there, that's, that's what's for dinner. So I would tell you, all of you parents here that have these little kids, it's coming. But you got you to work through it. And a church is like that. We don't want you to stay in infancy forever. We, we're going to like we got to get you. We got to grow you so that you you have the right perspective that you're supposed to grow up. We're going to help you mature. Some have the perspective that the church is there to help you exercise your gifts and callings. And I would tell you, absolutely. We just read First Corinthians 12. It talks about gifts and callings in the church and that we're supposed to use them. Ephesians 4:11 says that God gives the gifts of the uh, uh, apostles, prophets, pastors, uh, evangelists and teachers to help the church grow, to equip it, to do the things the church is supposed to do, and that you might grow up to full stature in Christ. Yes, we're supposed to exercise our gifts in the church, but it's not the primary mission of the church. Some of you have the perspective that the, the mission of the church is to teach right doctrine. Word church. Are we supposed to be a church that, that helps you proclaim the, the word of God boldly? Absolutely. Are we supposed to be a church that teaches you uh, about precise theology and what doctrine you're supposed to believe? Absolutely. Are we supposed to engage our cities with a contextualized gospel? Absolutely. But however, this is a part of God's mission. We cannot say that that is the primary mission of the church. Is a church supposed to help people? Absolutely. Is the primary mission of the church to do good works? If we're just doing good works, we're going to miss what God says is the primary mission of our church. And so what does Jesus say as the one who created the church is the primary mission of our church? He says it's to make disciples. He says it's to make disciples. Turn to Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Very uh, impactful passage of scripture. You know it. Probably memorized it. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. You know, a lot of times we, we look at this passage and, and we go right to the word go. See that word go? It just sticks out. All right. So Jesus said that we're supposed to go. We're supposed to go into our city. We're supposed to go into our neighborhood. We're supposed to go into uh, the, the uttermost parts of the world. Acts 1.8 says that we're supposed to go you know, in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That we're supposed to have spiritual activity. We can, we can read this verse and think that the mission of the church is just to go. But I would tell you, spiritual activity in and of itself is not the mission of the church. I know a lot of churches that do great things. They are loaded with spiritual activity but they don't do the one thing that God says for us to do in this passage very well, and that is to make disciples. And so I believe that the, the primary mission of the church is to make disciples. Why is that? Because that's what Jesus said as he was getting ready to go to heaven, getting ready to you know, go and sit at the right seat of God and, and you know, intercede for us until God decides for him to come again. And I think we make disciples in two ways. The first is we make disciples to Christ, and the second is we make disciples in Christ. Make disciples to Christ is, is simply the way that we evangelize. We're bringing people who aren't following Jesus. We, we are making known the, the good news of a God who incarnated himself and lived in our world and by God's plan would submit himself to, to dying on a cross what, what the Bible says is a curse. He would incur a curse for us to, to ultimately save us. And so we're finding people who have not yet been in fellowship with Jesus, and we're helping them to come to grips with a God that loves them enough to die for them. This speaks to our evangelism. And that, this is the difficult part with this. In order to make disciples to Christ, you have to know people who don't know Christ. And that's hard because the longer we've been in the church, the more we are disconnected from things outside of the church. I mean, I know I, I'm, I have to struggle. I have to fight to, to maintain non-Christian friends. And that's why I talk to my neighbors all the time. That's why I engage with uh, parents who are parents of my kids' friends to, to make myself, to, to give myself an opportunity to be around people who who don't go to church, who don't know Jesus. And so the real tension here is, is exactly how do we do this? How do we evangelize? How do we help people to, to become disciples to Christ? And I would tell you that it's, it's word and deed. And there, there's a tension there because some of you are very evangelistic. Some of you are just apologists. You, you love to, to preach the word. You love to, you know, to talk about gospel-centered things to people who don't know Jesus. And there's others of you that are just afraid of death of that, but you don't mind demonstrating the gospel to people, you know, you know, just basically being the light of Christ in the environments that he's put you in. And, and so let me just give the balance for you. The, the Bible doesn't divide gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. The Bible sort of gives you the opportunity to do both. Here's what James says, James 2.17. You know this verse. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so this suggests that our faith must have action steps, that we should do good deeds, especially good deeds for people who are outside of the church. 
And here's the balance to that. First Peter three eighteen, excuse me. First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so Peter is saying here, we have the opportunity to actually use words to convey the good news of a God that loves you enough to die for you on the cross. That we should, uh, apology, a defense, we should give a defense for the gospel. When we make disciples to Christ, we should try to do both. And so lastly, we make disciples in Christ. And this really is uh, how we disciple each other, those people who are already in the church. And the way that we do that in our church is through our community groups. And, you know, a community group can be a foreign idea to many of you. Uh, it's a Bible study. It's a small group, but it's a little bit more. It's, uh, it's an opportunity for us, like outside of the gathered church, to come together in the, the familial atmosphere of someone's home, to have snacks and sometimes food, and to, you know, to have multiple generations of people from young kids and babies to, you know, middle-aged young people to adults and, and seniors and to disciple each other, to open up the scriptures and let the scriptures feed us and, and to exhort us and encourage us. But also, aside from the formal study of the word, to let life-on-life relationships kind of happen. And so the, the gist of a community group of discipling each other in Christ is just exhorting each other in, in the Lord. And I would tell you, I see the beauty of that happening in our, in our community groups. So much so that y'all are starting to like each other just outside of even the, the, the church and the community group. And you're doing stuff with each other. And that's what God intends for us. That's what he intends for us. So lastly, I would leave you with this. How do we know that if we're living on mission? How do we know if we're living doing the mission that Jesus would call us to as a church. And we have to go to Acts to see that. Acts 2.42 says this. I knew you had it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts, that's the, that's the gathered church, and breaking bread in their homes, that's the scattered church. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is a picture of the church. Is this a perfect church? Absolutely not, because it's, it's got people involved in it. And wherever you see people, you can't have perfection because none of us, save Jesus, is perfect. But this is the church on mission. I think this is a picture of what God wants to do in the church. This is what God wants to do in our lives. It's what God wants to do in transit church. He's calling us to be this kind of church. And what we see here is radical devotion to, to, to Jesus. We see consistency in prayer. We see obedience to his word. We see uh, an encouragement and an ex- exhortation, um, just rubbing of shoulders with each other and helping each other because it's what God has called us to do. Living in community with the church. And, I, you know, I would tell you, this transcends any church experience that you might have had. 
You might have gone to church as a young kid. You might have you might even be new to church now. This picture here of, of the church and the church on mission transcends the picture that you might have lived out, the experience you might have lived out. And this is what God is calling us to. And it's not because it's a better program, but it's because it's what Jesus has designed for us to be. And so I would encourage you, let's be the church. Let's love Jesus. Let's let Jesus do in us what he did in this early church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have seen fit to call us, not just to yourself, but you've called us by the Holy Spirit to to follow Jesus. And when we have the privilege of following Jesus, you call us into the church to partner with it, to labor for the sake of the gospel. But also we get the privilege of, of, of being nurtured and cared for by those that Jesus is also working on by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you for this local church, the transit. And I thank you for this first year that you've given us, where you've taken us from, man, even another state, meeting in our home down there, transitioned us to Northern Virginia, outside of D.C., and in the humble beginnings of our living room, you've grown us to meet into this school. So thank you for the legacy of your church that, leads, that lives on in us. We thank you for the work that you're doing here in our hearts, in our lives, and for the work yet to be done through us as transit church in this city that you've placed us in. God, we, in many ways, we aren't up for the task, but we pray that you would give us faith, eyes to see that what we can't do as individuals, you've called us to do collectively as your church. Lord God, bless your church. Bless Transit Church. Help us to be all that you designed it to be. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. And everyone said amen. And amen. And amen.